You are listening to Redhead with a Mic podcast. Talking movies and mental health. All right, we're back at it again. This is the Redhead guy, John. And I'm Michael. And we've got a special and awesome guest with us. We're so excited. I'm super Woo-hoo! excited to talk about this movie and super excited to talk with Destiny Shackelford. How are you doing, Destiny? Doing great, guys. Happy to be Hello. here. Destiny might, Destiny might be one of our big fans. I think she's up there and one of our big fans. And so it behooved us to invite one of our big fans who's also very interesting and insightful to to come and talk movies and mental health. Are yeah, you a thanks. big fan, Destiny? Um, I don't think I've missed a podcast yet. So oh, I would say awesome. I'm probably your biggest fan. <laughs> She's loyal, man. <laughs> yeah. That's why we have show. 60 listens. Mm-hmm. We're killing yep, it. Yep, they're all me. Yeah, just <laughs> She's put like, it on I repeat. listen 60 times a week. <laughs> I'm compelled to listen 60 times a week. <laughs> I'm actually kind of surprised sometimes. I'll, I'll, I usually listen when Mike uploads them. I'll listen to him just to kind of listen. And I, a lot of times I like really, I kind of forget and I just really enjoy listening to us chat about stuff. It's really fun. So, yeah. well, Destiny, it's so good for you to be with us. We're so excited. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're at, what you're doing in your life. And all right. Well, I am newly what a counselor a full-time counselor so i'm really excited about that Mm -hmm. um it's been a long road getting here i didn't know what i wanted to do specifically i just knew i wanted to help people in my life so i started out being a teacher then i worked as a so you mean like the road to becoming a therapist Mm -hmm. yeah what kind of teacher were you destiny what did you teach um i taught preschool I mm-hmm. taught special ed preschool, um, mm-hmm. two different years. And then um, I created a STEM program for my daughter's school. I drafted it, Wild. created the curriculum, and and I was the first teacher there to get it off off the ground. And so oh, I wow. that's cool. STEM. So the STEM program, was that for like the whole elementary school or just like one like class of the school? Or how, how, the- how involved did you get that off? The, like how big of a program did you get going? Um, it's for the entire school. Um, it's wow. for a preschool. So it starts with the uh, two to three year olds. It goes all the way up to age five in their um, early kindergarten program. And oh, cool. it was great. We did all kinds of fun science experiments, introduced the kids to chemistry, to the scientific method, to engineering and problem solving. We got to do some really fun stuff with math that they enjoyed. Well, did cool. a little bit of coding which is really fun with preschoolers so with your education did you have like um did you have uh like post uh regular four-year degree education that um that you had like curriculum designing skills Mm or what what uh what was your educational experience that allowed you to put together a program yeah um my first master's is in education and the focus was curriculum development i love creating I love building. I love teaching. So I figured that might combine the three in a way that I could use it. And then I realized that I spend all of my time helping people with their problems and their mental health anyway. So I went back and got another degree in in clinical mental health and counseling. Wow. So it was in your in your work uh, and seeing all the different problems that it just felt like an evolution and something that you wanted to do to, to then be like, well, I'm going to get this other credential and, and and shift gears that just uh well i guess you accomplished what you wanted to with your first degree so you put together yeah. a curriculum, like all right i did that yep. so yeah so what, what else is was there something more specific that led to the desire for 
um, you know, an educational change or a career focused change or did it just feel like a, a natural evolution? Or? Um, well, my therapist told me I would be a good therapist. I'm not sure how often that happens, but I was in therapy working through some stuff. I had a pretty rough childhood, I guess mm-hmm. is a way to sum it up. And so, um, I got a referral from the church to go see a therapist and, and ended up finding a couple of other therapists that helped me along the way. And, and I was just impressed by the difference that it made in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It gave me so much clarity and it gave me purpose. So your, your experience, um, and that was after you were implementing these programs and stuff. So in like your younger Mm -hmm. adult, I guess your adult years or earlier adult years, so having some therapy really affected you and you thought, oh, this is, you know, this is great. And I think I want to help people like I've been helped. Or... Yeah, I went into teaching because I wanted to help people the way my teachers helped me. My teachers were my support system. So shout out if any of my elementary school or middle school teachers from Bledsoe <laughs> County, awesome. uh, Tennessee were, were listening. Where did you go to elementary school? Where was that? Um, it was Cecil B. Rigsby Elementary School on Dayton Mountain. It was a tiny little school, um, super involved teachers. They were so yeah. dedicated to their students. And and that was home. Like when I was at school, I was at home, kind of like wow. Harry Potter. Like I'm not going yeah. home. Not really. That was me every day getting on the bus. Wow. Uh, that sounds that sounds tough, but also yeah. a blessing. It was. And so I wanted to be that person for kids like me. And yeah. I think that's what evolved into me going into therapy is in the school system. Now I wasn't able to be that person and in, in a classroom with 23 kids and five of them have IEPs and you don't have support from administrators and parents mm-hmm. are working and can't be involved. So mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to put more <laughs> effort into the helping part of of service. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Great. Tell us about your personal life. Do you have any hobbies or fun things you like to do? Do you, uh, are you in a relationship? Tell us, tell us about Ooh. you. Do you have a partner? I do have a partner. <laughs> I married my best friend 13 years ago this month. And oh, cool. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. And he's still my best friend. So I think it's going pretty well. <laughs> We're still married. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he's fantastic. He's amazing. We're both nerds big nerds, Star Wars nerds, board game nerds, sci-fi, fantasy, you name it. So most of my hobbies kind of fit into that a little bit. Like my ultimate dream hobby is LARPing one day. I want to do that. Whoa, wait, that's new. Have you, have you not done any LARPing or, or you, you do it and you just want to do more of it? I haven't, but I want to, I really love Renaissance fairs. So LARPing is live action action role playing. Oh, nice. Yeah, you dress up and you go. It's like Dungeons What's prevented Dragons, you from doing life. it? Um, well, I do everything else. Just right busy, now. is that what you're saying or? Yeah. So, oh, okay. I, yeah. Um, I guess something to describe me is I'm ADHD. So, I do everything all the time as soon as it catches my interest and for as long <laughs> as it holds my interest. So, I 10 minutes. I mean, I'm in there for 10 yeah, minutes strong. Um, 100%. I, I wrote a <laughs> book once i do crafts i do art i did the stem program that was probably an adhd rabbit hole that i went down um, i get degrees whenever i hyperfixate on something so <laughs> that's something i need to work on but is I, there like is there that is there larping things happening in chattanooga and tennessee i've never looked down oh, i'm sure yeah. are they are they highly correlated with comic cons 
Like yeah. Comic Con um, comes to town, and then some, going I, I, I know I've been to board gaming conventions that have LARPing going on. I'm not sure mm-hmm. how much Comic Cons have them. Maybe some do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My husband does. I call it. I call it Call of Duty LARPing, but he's oh. soft, and so he does these big um, military simulation events. Like he was oh, just out cool. of town for one a couple of weeks ago, and so like he airsoft. Up in, yeah. Do like airsoft? Yeah. He does. Cool. He dresses up in military gear, and he's got like I so it's don't like know a how, military how reenactment. Equipment. Yeah, it's like live action Call of Duty. You go out and you have objectives, and you are so they're on using one side airsoft? and you battle like another. BB guns, yeah. or are they using paintball? No, no it's, it's airsoft. Airsoft is like a little BBs. plastic. They're little mm-hmm. plastic ones, so they sting a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no paint. It's not. Oh, it's not messy. A little bit of pain. Uh, not no pain, paint, but pain. No pain. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No pain for I bet for sure those things are kicking at pretty high speeds. So. Yeah. He got so shot what hobbies it. do you do? You said you like fantasy and sci-fi. So what hobbies do you do with that? I read. I write. I play board games. I'm trying to create a card game. I awesome. Yeah. What's I... one of your favorite board games? Ooh. Well, that's gonna be a tough. One. <laughs> that is a tough one. I think my all-time favorite is Munchkin. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Munchkin is but fun. I, I like a lot of them. I really like Pandemic. I like Mysterium. Have you played Mysterium? Mm-hmm. That sounds that cool. One's, that one's really fun. Um, I like to be the ghost. And then, I don't know. We've got probably 100, 150 board games and card games at our house, so it's hard to narrow you down a favorite. You and Michael are rivaling each other. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to compare collections someday. Michael's go on my board game geek profile and you can look. Spike Mike Zero One is my username. Anyone wants to look at my <laughs> collection. I've sold off cool. Sold off a few hundred over the years, but there's still probably four wow. or five hundred on there. Yeah. So you have like a social media where you like uh account for all of the games that you haven't played? Oh yeah. So board game geek, yeah, you can go on and you can create a profile. I use it. You can buy board games, um, but you can or if also people are like looking for one. They're like, Mike has it. Yeah, and you get like they they'll they'll put information on there. You can trade. You can you can do all types of stuff. Uh, you can auction off. Like that's where I've sold almost all my board games that I've oh, that's cool. I've sold is just through auctions on there, just listing it. And then on your profile, you can list an inventory of all the games you've had, games you've had in the past i it's hard for me to keep the past games up to date um oh like yeah the ones that have come and gone so it's like yeah like your portfolio that you've had at one time yeah in yeah because you're supposed to just change it from own to like owned or something but i used to just delete them so a lot um, of them i've lost <laughs> You're like, I lost my history. Yeah, you deleted your own game part. playing yeah, history, I should've, Michael. I <laughs> retain that. But yeah, you should go on there. If you like board games, Destiny, you should go on Board Game Geek. Yeah, I'll check it out. We'll have yes. to compare. <laughs> um, Sounds legit. Yeah, and I bake cakes. I Yeah, you've shown us some cool pictures of your cakes. Oh, that's yeah. Right. Do you have yeah. like, a, is it on your Instagram or something like that too? It is. Destiny's yeah, think, Cakery. If you're in Chattanooga and you want a cake. Through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've done some really cool ones. I did one for a Game of Thrones premiere party. That's probably my favorite that I've done. It was a three tiered cake, like a wedding cake. And it had like black iridescent dragon scales on the bottom. And then cool. the middle layer was um, hand painted white walkers. So that was cool. And then the top I made sugar glass 
And so it was really how neat. long does it how long did it take to make that like a three tiered cake with that much detail? detail yeah. That one was an eleven hour cake. My wow. longest cake took thirteen hours, and that was wow, the geode cake. Yeah, that's cool. A geode cake that just sounds cool. Did it geode yeah. when you opened it, or was it like? It was cracked open. open. That was the one you yeah. showed us, right? That's like oh, okay. cracked yeah. open. You could see the crystals inside. Oh, or what cool. are they called inside a geode? Just crystals oh. or? Yeah, it, it depends on the kind of geode. But oh, yeah, they're just sense. crystals. Um, Yeah, I hand pieced every single piece of rock candy into that cake. So that that's you guys, cool. Did you guys ever try to like grow rock candy as a kid? Yeah. yeah. I tried like two or Who three didn't? times. <laughs> I never had success. I, was, I had no rock candy skills. Couldn't get that crystals to show up on that string. Oh, Not one man. bit. Should've yeah, we did my... rock candy. Mm-hmm. Should have been in and... my preschool STEM class. My that four-year-olds could do it. <laughs> four-year-olds were more successful than I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they could teach you, John. So of your fantasy uh, rabbit hole, like, what's your favorite? Do you have a favorite, like, uh, movie series? series or book? Yeah, or book series. Or... Ooh. Yes, the Stormlight Archives is my favorite mm-hmm. series. I love the Cosmere. I love anything tying into the Cosmere, but Mistborn and Stormlight are my two favorites, probably of all time. That's yeah. cool. He's so yeah. a movie or book or or just for book series? Uh, for book series. Movies, probably a tie between Lord of the Rings and... Star Wars. I feel like Lord of the Rings is more fantasy. Star Wars is sci-fi, so I could separate those two. Mm-hmm. But, you can have a, yeah. a favorite in each domain. I just watched Return of mm-hmm. the King the other day. Yeah, it's a good it one. popped up at one of my suggestions. I was like, I'm going to sleep, sure. <laughs> I think I ended up watching 80% of it until 2 o'clock yeah. in the morning or something. Yeah, That's cool. What In the Stormlight Archives, what would you say is a character that you enjoy or uh, part of the story that's like Ooh. Well, I love all of it. I really love Kaladin's journey. Mm. Um, I love how he progresses from being just a poor farm kid to uh, to having a shard plate and a shard blade. And, oh, spoilers. And, oh. We have some spoilers here, folks, <laughs> just, but it's been oh. like a year and a half or something. So. Okay. <laughs> book five is uh, about to, is it book five is oh, about to come There's out? no statue of limitation, work, Is he John. working it? Is yeah. he working on book five? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Is that I'm the one? Sure he started fourth, fourth one was the last one that came out, right? So book Yeah, five. Rhythm of Wars. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, you can edit the spoilers out if you need to, but <laughs> I just feel like... Destiny. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> it's all good. I just feel like Kaladin's really relatable to me. He grew up... Mm-hmm. He grew up in... He grew up in a good home. His parents were really supportive, yeah, but he grew up... legit, yeah. Poor and had significant loss in his life, and yeah. and the depression that hits is was really relatable to me. I I could relate to, especially his time in the canyons and everything. Mm. So, yeah. in Bridge Four, um, Liren and- is Liren is such a complicated character, isn't he? Like his mm-hmm. dad. I don't think I've figured his dad out yet, or maybe his dad's got an arc. I think his dad has an arc that's happening as well, but yeah. his dad I find very intriguing and complicated you know yeah. and the mixed yeah. roles that he has mm-hmm. yeah he's yeah. kind and caring but rigid very yeah. rigid excessively yeah. rigid right it's interesting mm-hmm. and i think that that rigidity probably comes from some trauma that's been undealt with so i wonder if 
potentially if, get that. if Brandon Sanderson is trying to follow like a mental health yeah. paradigm, mm-hmm. like I, I, at least in my experience, when it, you get it'll that, be like, interesting, uh, it'd be interesting to understand why, why he's so set on healing versus protecting or, mm-hmm. you know, like he's such a pacifist almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it's like there's nothing to stand up for. But didn't that kind of change in the last book? Wasn't there a little thing that happened or something at the end where he kind of stood up for Kaladin or something like that? Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying yeah. to remember. It's foggy. But I remember there was something at the very end where I think Kaladin. Yeah, uh, in the tower. Yes. Is that is that where it was? I don't remember what it's I think was. so. Yeah. Yeah. But I like him. I like, I don't even know how to say her name. Um Jasna? Yasna? Yasna? I haven't listened to the books. I've only read them. Yasna. Oh. I like her a lot. Her pursuit yeah. of knowledge. Well, in the books, they yeah. pronounce it Yasna. 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 Yeah. I like that. I'm just mentally going to call her Jasna, probably, because that's what it. I committed yeah. to. Uh, yes. She's yes. not going to mind. Cool. It does. Yeah. Yeah, Yashna is interesting. I like her. I like her pursuit of knowledge. I like how she kind of takes her own approach to the world. She's a little bit of a rebel. Um, yeah, those are the two I think I relate to the most. Cool. So then you have any other fun hobbies? Sounds like you have many things yeah, you like sure. to do. Lot, I think yeah. you need to go LARP. If you want to LARP, you should go do that. I'm going to. Challenge you. Challenge you to. <laughs> Get yeah. that lightsaber out in the dark of night and double yeah. edged lightsaber. Would you be a single <laughs> lightsaber girl or a double lightsaber? Ooh, double. Lightsaber. I was in color guard, so I think I'd have to have a double. Nice. Yeah. Pull and out some, some. I'd be uh, obnoxious with it too. All kinds of spins and flips and throws and yeah. That would be fun. Uh, what color my- would your lightsaber be, John? Oh, Michael and I did a, a short on this. I know. And I think, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, the coolness, I don't know enough about the lore to know which, uh, uh, what, what, what is it called? What's the mineral called or the rock the called? There you go. I don't know the lore n- enough to know which, um, like, I would be selected by. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the orange... Or the yellow, like the orange or yellow would be cool. And I think if I remember when Michael and I reviewed it, that there were values associated that were kind of similar to what my personality might be. So I think the yellow yeah. or orange field would, would work for me. Yeah, I'd say you'd be yellow. Happy, energetic, optimistic. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for your vote of thanks. How about yourself? Where do you think you would end up with uh, lightsaber, kyber crystals? Where would you? I like to think I embody all of the good qualities in all of the colors so i would have i don't think it's possible to have a rainbow but i, I feel like say, that would be kind of bad eh? wouldn't it to have like a yeah. rainbow lightsaber <laughs> That'd be I, <laughs> cool i would love to have a rainbow lightsaber if they could figure it out i would have a rainbow lightsaber would yeah. the purest star wars people like lose their minds about <laughs> probably but hey cool though wouldn't it? I could totally lightsaber tech is super advanced i'm sure they could figure it out well if it's introduced into the doctrine or the canon of star wars then purist would need to accept it yeah there you go yeah they'd have to what about you michael well i don't know i mean i i have favorite color i i love green 
So I've always loved green lightsabers, but if we're going off of what the force would choose for me, um, yellow is cool. So yellow would be, if I remember right, like a, a temple guard color. So mm-hmm. typically temple guards had yellow. Um, uh, I can't remember what white is. Purple is kind of like gray Jedi. Like they, uh, mm-hmm. they follow the traits of a gray Jedi. I, I think green was, um, like, green was protection? more like diplomatic. Or... Yeah. And then blue is more like fighter. So I probably would be more green based on the force picking it for me. Um, which would be good with for me because I like green anyways. Mm-hmm. The more important question, yeah, the more important question I think because you don't choose your color yeah. is how would you design and what would your hilt look like? Because you do choose that. You create mm-hmm. your hilt. So yeah. I think that would be a cool question. That's probably hard to articulate through. Yeah, I think so. Right. Through like verbal means, but but that's the question I think about. And sometimes I go to Home Depot or Lowe's into like the plumbing <laughs> section, and I'll just create. <laughs> I'll create hilts. I've actually that's taken cool. coworkers in the past. You can ask Wayne if you ever talk to him, and I'll create hilts, and then I just leave them there assembled. That's cool. <laughs> It is. Field trip. Did you grab some spray paint? No, I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) Just far, you know, you can assemble stuff, spin stuff on, and that way they can take it apart. Nice. Well, um, Destiny, uh, what else is good to know about you? So you are you from um, the central Tennessee area where you are at now, or uh, Mm -hmm. is that where home's been? Yep. I grew up about an hour north of Chattanooga on a mountain in the middle of nowhere. It didn't even... The town didn't even have a name or the area. It's not even a town, I guess. Didn't have a name until I was in high school. It's called Brayton. And yeah, um, middle of nowhere. I had an hour and a half bus ride to and from school every day. So like when I say middle of nowhere, like it was the middle of nowhere. And yeah, didn't migrate too far from there. My husband, my bus passed his house every day. He was homeschooled, so we didn't know each other. But uh, we grew up on the same mountain and we moved down to Chattanooga when we got married and been here ever since. But how down you guys, pretty deep roots. How did you guys cross paths? Oh, um, long story short, my best friend in high school grew up with him and we were reading the Twilight books together. And she told me she had a friend at church who was just like Jacob Black from Twilight. So I went to church with her to meet this guy. And yeah, we hit it off. He kind of had a crush on the best friend at a time. So I got to know him as a person without all the like weird posturing you guys do when you're trying to impress girls that you like. Um, so I got to know authentic him. him. Yeah, him as a friend before knowing him as like a goofball trying to impress girls so it was very natural like we became best friends and then he took me on a date after I graduated high school we went to see the movie up and I decided that day that I was he was the one I wanted to marry that first that first 10 minutes will do it that'll put you right in the mood on it yeah and he's he's a tough guy like he's a, a southern boy through and through like a manly man guns and and construction and all of that. And he teared up during the first 10 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And then he cried when she died. That's probably a spoiler too, if you haven't seen up, but. Oh, come on. 
but yeah and to see him tear up and just be in touch with his emotions and and be willing to be vulnerable on a first date and everything and just everything i knew about him from being his friends i was like yep i'm marrying this kid he doesn't have a choice so (laughs) and uh from the time you decided you were gonna rope him in how long uh from that from up till (laughs) you said your nuptials he proposed five weeks later and we got married five months later wow yeah that's awesome and when was that uh november 5th 2009 2009 cool yeah and how many kiddos do you guys have we have two kids we have a daughter she's six and she is a firecracker she is wild and creative and fun and silly and just everything i ever wanted in a daughter and then we have a little guy jace he's 16 months he is he is a lot to take in he's he's a happy kid so chill so happy but he's so determined if he sets his mind to something he's gonna figure it out and do it he figured out how to take his baby gate apart like by rocking the <laughs> joints back and forth so that the little screws came loose. Um, he's, yeah, he's, he's too smart for me already. So <laughs> I'm going to be in for, in for a oh. loop whenever they get older. You like you, uh, you infused all of your STEM thoughts and have <laughs> come through the womb and manifested yeah. in your youngest boy. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Um, and both of them, Abby is so creative. And I mean, when she was two, she asked for a Parasaurolophus for Christmas. Like the dinosaur. Yeah, it's a kind of dinosaur. It has a crest. Um, yeah, she created a star generator for her room out of an umbrella and a flashlight and rubber bands and anything else she could sneak away from dad's workshop without him <laughs> noticing. She and poked like holes in the umbrella yeah. or something? She did. She poked holes in the umbrella and made her own That's constellations awesome. and taped it all together to <laughs> her trash can and filled it full of toys so it wouldn't tip over and made her own star generator for her room. So she's <laughs> That's awesome. he's brilliant. That's cool. Cool. Sounds yeah. like they're going to keep you busy. They do. So so I don't have time for more hobbies. That's why I'm not LARPing because I'm bombing <laughs> and counseling. Just take the just take the little ones LARPing with you, right? Oh, yeah. That world of make-believe will be a blast. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you picked a fantastic show. And yeah. one I one that's been on my list to talk about for a long time. So I'm I'm super excited um uh for you to that you picked this show. So what is it about the labyrinth that uh was your jam that made you decide you wanted to talk with us about? Um David Bowie as a goblin. No, that's a joke. Um <laughs> I've actually King. loved loved Labyrinth since I was a kid. It's just, it's an amazing story. The the puppets, the Jim Henson puppets are just incredible. It's, it's intense. It's vivid. There's so many cool things in it that just don't exist in reality. And I've just always loved it. I would probably say it's my favorite movie of all time. Wow. That's cool. That's a yeah. big, that's a big throwdown right there. It is. A lot of nostalgia factor there, but yeah, probably all time favorite. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it is all of those things. I totally agree. It's a mesmerizing kind of movie. I remember as a kid watching it and being like knowing that there were bigger themes that I wasn't getting and I was like confused. Like I remember her, her phrase, you know, that she's trying to remember at the beginning when she's reciting 
the story mm-hmm. and then you know it's the breakthrough at the end and I remember being like what does that mean like that's obviously important but I was like too young to kind of be able to kind of conceptualize um but I also am a Muppet I love Muppets I love mm-hmm. the Muppet show and I love Fraggle Rock and oh yeah um and so things with Muppets I just absolutely it just gets me I think it's such a cool thing and I'm sad that so much of movies in our day and age of you know CGI everything and I it seems like there's a little bit of a turn where people are bringing back real things um into shows and so I just love what that does to a feel of a movie you know what I mean yeah um the movie kind of starts with her LARPing which I feel like is relatable um Mm -hmm. yeah she's kind of acting out the story this book that she's loved and that she's been reading for a long time i guess and she's acting it out in the park and that's why she ends up being late coming home so yeah i i love the story it's it's kind of a coming of age story but it also brings in so many fantastical elements that that can really tie into mental health and just tie into life in general and it's it's great yeah Yeah, it was interesting it it didn't do well when it came out it's kind of become like a cult cult classic right so where, many of the 80s movies have done bombed that, right? but i remember yeah. watching it i i was not a, a as big a fan of of this as i was a, of the black crystal and mm. so i always enjoyed that one but i i love the puppetry right in in both and mm-hmm. so watching it again was fun because i haven't seen it i, I mean i probably watched it two times maybe as a kid mm-hmm. i haven't seen it since then so it was fun to watch it again and I love, yeah, it's got, I mean, it looks awesome. Mm-hmm. It looks awesome. It's still a little, like, to be honest, like, it's hard for me to get through still. Like, I, I <laughs> fell asleep at one point, <laughs> but I still love it. Like, I see that there's a lot of meaning to it and there's a there's mm-hmm. a, a story. So it's surprising to me it didn't do as well. I don't I don't understand why it didn't do better when yeah, it came out. Yeah, because it definitely fit, like, the... the uh the 80s genre right yeah, like so many movies were being kind of made like that and and david bowie i mean i, I don't know how popular david bowie was in, in the well, 80s he's been but... popular forever yeah yeah was born popular i wonder why it didn't hit but i but it is it's such a it, like for me it was so mysterious and, and wonderful and it's true like the i guess it was just like back scene paintings you know like the labyrinth mm-hmm. paintings mm-hmm. yeah and and how they set it up you know it's funny i was watching it with jack and jack was like oh my gosh dad this movie terrified me as a kid i had no idea <laughs> he's like it was so terrifying he's like if i would think of it during the day after we saw it the first time he's like i wouldn't be able to sleep that night i'm like really he's like Man. yeah like, what's so terrifying and and the like scene, the goblins it, in the beginning is a little could be a little well, spooky i think i think so i think he must have been quite young because i remember emmanuel and eden loving it so i don't mm. know what age we showed it to them but they loved it and thought it was fascinating but i guess jack would have been quite a bit younger and I think it was the abduction of Toby because that was the scene where yeah. he was like, oh. he, even now he's like, oh, it is he's scary, like, you know, like where they just kind of, abduct, you know, abduct the baby and she's thrown into this whole, you know, uh, conflict of responsibility. And- so what is it supposed to be like? Is it supposed to be her processing through like her own pain of not feeling seen or heard. And and that's like what this movie is, or does she actually go to the labyrinth and try to rescue? Yeah. Is it like a, 
like a processing a thing in her own mind or a dream or, or is it actual, that's what I always wondered as a kid, like what actually is going, going on? Is on it real or not? Cause at the end they're there <laughs> or are they just yeah. there in their like, mind? Well, yeah, just like, in reflections in the mirror, yeah. right? They're like mm-hmm. we're, we're always here with you. You know what I mean? Like this kind of fantastical world. I'd really, I have some really, uh, uh, opinionated ideas but Disney what do you think what do you think as a woman because this is definitely a coming of age for a young lady to womanhood I, I is how it struck me N- watching it as an adult and a therapist I, I didn't see any of that as a kid but what, well there's some weird creepy parts yeah, too, there is, where I'm like there is. like mm-hmm. the whole masquerade part I'm yeah. like what the heck is going on like is he into her or something or what well, he was trying to seduce her I mean he yeah was, is like, that what was going on forever. I was like is this like pedophile stuff right here or what like I thought that was really interesting I never noticed it as a kid but watching it this time I was like whoa is David Bowie like trying to seduce her <laughs> yeah uh, how old is she that's what I was supposed to be 16 in the movie. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was wondering this time because it was like there was a part of her that she carries herself kind of like a petulant 13 year old. But mm-hmm. then there was this other aspect of, and I think that that's really significant, like that age aspect, right? Is yeah. really significant in her kind of making sense of the journey that she's well, on. And she was, so I looked up her age because I was wondering that. I was like, how old is oh, she like actually in the movie? Yeah. Yeah. And and Jennifer Connelly was born, I think it said in 70, and the movie came out in 86. So she probably was like 14 or 15 when they filmed. But I mm-hmm. think she's playing a 16-year-old. I, I don't know. Or 15. I mean, she's old enough to babysit a baby. So, I mean, back then in the day, I don't feel like that really. In the matter, 80s, yeah. it didn't matter. It didn't matter. If you were 10 and you, could, <laughs> you had some semblance, you could do it. Yeah. Um, so I see it as being a a journey where a girl goes from being a girl, a child into adulthood and how challenging that can be for her. And that's a pretty, pretty common perception of the movie from what I understand, because she starts out, I mean, she's 16, but she has a bedroom full of stuffed animals. She's out playing pretend in the park and dress up clothes, which I mean, there are plenty of people who do that. And I want to be one of those people, but in, in that time period and, and for what the movie shows, she, she was just doing it on her own for fun. Um, um, she's, she is very petulant. I noticed one of the things she says throughout the movie is that's not fair. Anytime mm-hmm. things don't go her way. Like okay. when, when he takes extra time off the clock, whenever she's being sassy to him or whenever she sees that the little bitty goblin creatures have been turning around her arrow marks through the maze and pointing them in different directions. She stomps her foot and she says, that's not fair. And, and, I think that's something that she grows out of throughout the movie that that petulance a little bit. Well, so- David, David Bowie asked yeah. a really kind of compelling question at one point when she makes that. I, I think it maybe it's at the clock scene and he says something like, you know, what are you what you know, it'd be interesting to know. What does he say? I, I thought I wrote it down, but I was scanning my notes. I didn't see it. But but like he asks a question, something like you know, like, what is your reference point for fair? Like, what makes mm-hmm. you the judge of fair? Which it seems like that that um, rhetorical, um, uh, you know, uh, quip that he gives okay. her. I wonder if it, it gets her thinking, because to me, that idea of not fair and her growth is really organized around that concept of internalizing 
that that's not really what ma- I mean, you know, as you grow into adulthood, fairness doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. not, you know what I mean? Like that's not the point. The point isn't for us to, for things to be fair. You know, the yeah. point is to learn. I mean, no, no part of suffering in humanity is, I don't think really fair. I don't know if there's any fair suffering well, out there. I kind of see it too. Cause isn't the whole, like she says, like the thing she keeps remembering is you don't have power over me or mm-hmm. something like that. Right. Yeah. So for me, it's like this processing and this self-actualization of I'm in control. And as I'm in control, fairness really goes out the window. It's not a yeah. concept that really applies anymore. When oh, I take yeah, that absolutely. power and agency back for myself, that was kind of my understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the quote, and I've memorized so many of these quotes, it's obnoxious, <laughs> is um, when he, when she says it's not fair, he says, you say that so often, I wonder what your basis for comparison yeah, is. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. And, and after he says that, I think she does have kind of a revelation because later on, whenever she needs Hoggle's help and he she takes his shiny things from him, his little jewelries, uh, he says, that's not fair. And she says, no, it isn't. But that's the way it is. So I yeah. think that kind of opened her eyes to the reality that life isn't fair. And that that does give her a sense of control. It's like the concept in DBT of uh, radical acceptance. Mm-hmm. So well, it's, think- it is it is empowering to accept that, yes, that is absolutely true. Life is not fair. It's not going to be fair. And it's like, yeah, that's the way it is. So like, what are you going to do with it? Right. Like, what are you going to do about it? Is that is that going to stop you in your tracks from achieving where you're going or, mm-hmm. you know, or, yeah, that that real idea of like, you know, you have you don't have power over me anymore because I have accepted the truth. I have maturated. I have. Uh, progressed and appreciating. I'm not looking at this child mind because yeah, kids say it all the time. It's mm-hmm. not fair. It's so interesting that that kid that that becomes a template of, you know, assessing what's going on in the world out there. It's like why 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 do they get this idea that life should deal fairly for you know with you? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just you know. I mean, knowing all three of us, none of us had like fair upbringings. You know what I mean? We all mm-hmm. had things that you know, that were unfair that we had to face. And it's interesting that, that I don't know if it's just a child mind or something that we, we think maybe it's a part of like development, right? Because as we learn to interact with other kids, we do like play a game, right? We create our own games and we play games and there's the sense of rules and this place that we can interact. And there is, you know, like a judge or expectations. And if you break the rules, then it's like, well, I'm not going to play the game with you or the game doesn't work. So maybe, maybe that developmental stage we want to take with us to towards adulthood. And we have to realize that one of the rules of the game is, is that it's not fair. <laughs> you know what I mean? That well, I, aren't I love that she has that growth, but she doesn't lose that quality of childlike imagination so at the end she's had the growth the progression but she's still i think like i said earlier i don't know if this is like supposed to be real or like in her mind or a dream but she still has all them there partying with her and i think that's really cool because in real life most people lose that as they come to this understanding they feel like they have to maybe let go of a lot of that imagination mm-hmm. and that that fun and and for me that's something i've always like fought against i like to have the fun i like to have the you know the imagination the creativity aspects and i love that in this movie she still has it like that doesn't go away 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah she cultivates a sense of, cause there's a problem solving somewhere along the way where she goes, well, let's think about this logically. Right. So mm -hmm. she embraces some of that kind of problem solving, but yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a really important resilient quality to retain creativity and, and a childlike possibility. Yeah. I mean, in faith, in faith, right. You know, like in our faith, there's that notion of, um, to remain humble like a child. And, and I don't think that means like unsophisticated or undeveloped, but I think it's the idea of being open-minded that anything could happen, right? Because how can you accomplish a great thing if you're not creative enough to be like, there's a way that that can happen. And yeah. then you cultivate the maybe mechanical step-by-step -step logical things that could achieve it, but you have to kind of dare you know, to wonder or explore, you know, like going to the bottom of the ocean or going to Mars, you know, it's, it can mm -hmm. seem like a childlike fantasy, but it's that dream or that childlike, you know, creativity of like, that's possible that then, you know, you, you know, you, you absolutely need it. It's a, such a great point, you know, and that it is a cool metaphor that it's all there in the mirror, like those different points. I thought the other thing that was interesting about those friendships which becomes really clear in her journey through the maze, which is such a fantastic metaphor that she develops these friendships along the way, you mm -hmm. know, with each kind of problem or crucible that she has to kind of go through. Were there any of those destiny that struck you uh, that you identified with particularly, whether it be the friend that comes of the crucible or the crucibles that you, you know, cause there's all these kind of serious problems, right? There's like maybe five yeah. or six major problems that she negotiates. Was there one in particular that you, that you really like enjoy in the movie or really speaks to you or the friendship that comes out of that? Yeah, there are a couple actually. One of them is just right in the very beginning of the movie. It's such a small little snippet. It's where the little worm goes, hello, and invites yeah, her in for a cup favorite. of tea. <laughs> I love that part because it, it yeah. shows that, I mean, the people we encounter in life are very often by chance. And so if you take what they say at face value without asking any questions or doing any thinking on your own, it can send you entirely down the wrong path. And oh, I love cool that the point. little worm says, he's like, oh, if she had gone that way, that would have taken her straight <laughs> to the king's castle. And that's and my favorite labyrinth scene right yeah, there. It's so funny. I love that. Well, and, well, and he's the coolest, like little, like he, I think I was going to ask this question too. Like, did, did, <laughs> did you guys have like a favorite Muppet or whatever? And yeah. he is one of my favorites by far too. Cause he's just so like, his voice is so cool and he mm -hmm. looks so cool <laughs> and he's so interesting. And so, so yeah. And it yeah. seems like there was a theme of this too, of like, getting the right information by asking the right questions. It seemed mm -hmm. like there was this constant undertone of like assumptions versus mm -hmm. literal, you know, so there's this constant play on words of literal versus assumptions. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think uh, with my other favorite character is Sir Didymus, the little fuzzy dog creature that rides the like, sheep dog. Is he a fox? Is he a fox yeah. riding a dog? I don't know. I think he's, he's like a rat be. terrier riding a dog. Yeah. Like, I think he's a dog riding a dog. <laughs> yeah. Which um, is hilarious. Because his personality fantastic. is like a like a little Yorkie or something mm -hmm. where he's yeah. feisty. Yappy, feisty. Yeah, we have a Yorkie. <laughs> so maybe that's why I like him so much. He reminds me of my dog. But <laughs> I love it because he's he's so 
determined to stand by his his goal. His goal is to not let anybody cross the bridge without his permission, and and he keeps them from crossing. And then I love when she has that recognition, and and he says like it's it's my solemnly sworn duty to keep anybody from crossing this bridge without my permission. And she goes, oh, wow. well. May may we have your permission? And it just kind of baffles him for a second. And I yeah. think it, it, it you're not going to get anything you don't ask for. It's okay to take risks and to ask for things that you want in life. Uh, and sometimes the worst thing people can say is no. But a lot of times people are more than willing to help you out and help you achieve what you're trying to achieve. So I, I love how fierce and productive he is. And I love that his grand purpose was undone with just a simple question. I thought that was a hilarious part of the movie. Yeah. It's a um, great problem to solve, to realize like, well, you have to have permission. So it's like, well, it's a great metaphor, right? Because sometimes you're trying to ram your will into mm -hmm. something or through something and you see someone or you see an institution as an adversary. And mm -hmm. it's like, if you just make them a partner, like all of a sudden yeah. you have a best friend. It's like, do, do you have to exactly. be, do you have to be in uh, at odds with these forces or is there just a way to be like, can I have your permission or can I have your support or mm -hmm. will you work with me on this? You know what I mean? Versus them being a foe, you know? Yeah. It's a lot easier to ask for a key than to ram down a door. Yeah. One of the yeah. crucibles or problems that really perplexed me and, and still bugs me to this day, because I guess I don't have, the intellectual fortitude to think it through is how to solve the problem of the one person that lies and the one person that always tells the truth. That's isn't that like an old school riddle? Isn't that like mm -hmm. been around for a long time or something like that? Yeah. Um, I thought that part was hilarious too. And I still haven't figured out in the movie if she got the right door because the door she ends up going into is, it, is that the hands? drops her down into yeah, the, the hands, hands the helping yeah. hands and and they call themselves helping hands but i mean they're ready to just drop her to the ground so i don't know how helpful but again responding to her like well do you want to yeah, they'll down? do like yeah of... what she wants i always well, wondered if she would have went back up where would the path have led of course mm -hmm. yeah but so it's she interesting she goes down to the well and, basically and a prison right is that what yeah that and that's like that's the whole metaphor, right? Of a lot of journey, every hero's journey is ending up descending below all things into our dark hole. Right? Mm -hmm. And is that where Hoggle shows back up? Yeah, yeah. down in the oubliette. Yeah, yeah the oubliette. Oh, that's what she's in. That's right. She's yeah. in the oubliette, which is like a, isn't that like the, I think I looked it up. A definition of an oubliette is like a, a not, not dungeon, but like a, what's the word? <laughs> A holding cell like or something like yeah like a, a, that has just one door right yeah but interestingly enough hoggle creates another yeah, right is that just, what he did something yeah. like that he like yeah, he opened the door up. one way and then it was like a broom closet and then he opened it yeah, the other way and that was good way out. <laughs> it was really yeah. cool Hoggle's a fascinating character. Yeah, what did you what did you make of him and the role that he has? Because he has his own journey, which is really cool, which is why he's meaningful and and interesting. But what what do you make of yeah. his role in in her? Is that like part of her subconscious, or is it just this other thing? Or um, I think he provides opposition to her that she needs, and I think he represents the childish, stubborn, selfish part of her that she's got to work to overcome and to to accept as a part of herself so that she can move past it. Um, I see her as being at opposition to him a lot in the beginning of the movie. And then as the movie progresses, they kind of built this friendship and that friendship is a big key factor to what gets her through the labyrinth. So I think mm -hmm. 
accepting the parts of ourselves that are are selfish and and not afraid. easy to deal with and well scared. he's afraid right i mean yeah. he's like the epitome of shame right he's ugly mm -hmm. and kind of um you know off-putting and he's and he's vocally fearful you know he's mm -hmm. going to do the most safe thing he can for himself because he's terrified of the goblin king and terrified of standing up for himself or anybody else in any kind of way right like he doesn't even yeah. he's completely shameless and like i'm gonna run from any difficult situation right so mm -hmm. really man he really is this wonderful metaphor of like kind of the ugliest part of something well it's interesting because yeah. the the fear is what we see but really it's the shame that's the issue he's not fearful because he does hard things he mm -hmm. just feels like he's incapable mm -hmm. and so it's that feeling of incapability that really limits him from doing what he wants to do not that he's scared to do what he wants to do that's just the secondary emotion that shows forth and i think that's really interesting because that's true for each yeah. of us and yet our mind just sees the fear or others right. just see the fear and think that you know there's there's not anything there besides just a scared or fearful person but really there's a courageous person in front of us that just feels that they're not enough unworthy inadequate. or yeah. ugly or yeah because yeah. that's really what calls forth his development is the hope of a friendship right like yeah she calls him a friend, you know, and I was always really upset by his betrayal or it, it, and it seems like he's really trying to work it out. He's trying to play both sides of the fence. He's trying to like kind of save face and keep himself safe in front of, uh, Jareth or Jerem or whatever his name Jareth. is, yeah. Jareth, the, the goblin King. And then also, so it's like, he's trying to work it out or save face. And I remember being really, I remember being like heartbroken when he gives her as a kid, when he gives her the the fruit mm -hmm. uh, like poisoners i remember really but he manifests that shame too like instantly you know in the yeah. betrayal absolutely um i think i didn't like hoggle when i was a kid watching this movie i thought he was worse than jareth because he was betrayers yeah right because he was manipulative in how he went about doing things he was very secretive and in the dark and everything jareth just puts it out there he's like okay i'm gonna send you through this entire maze if you do this this will be the consequence if you do this this is the consequence i feel like he's very straightforward in his expectations and hoggle's manipulation just it really bothered me as a kid but as an adult and especially as a mental health professional i understand so much better now the being caught between what we want for ourselves, our our selfish idea of what peace and safety looks like compared mm -hmm. to the unknown and the scary realities of responsibility, especially when that's responsibility for taking care of or guiding another person. Like he's set to take care of and guide Sarah through the maze. Um, and it, it surprised me the last time I watched the movie, how much the the scene where he chose Sarah and her friendship over his beloved treasures and trinkets that you can tell he's been collecting for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, when he chose responsibility over his own selfish ideals. And again, when Sarah is in the, the, the junkyard part of the maze where she's with all those the ladies hoarder. with, yeah, the such hoarder a great, section. It's such a great metaphor of the, kind of hoarder, the hoarding kind of mental yeah. illness you know 
It was. And, and in a sense too, the, the lady that was telling her, oh, it's okay. You're safe here. You've got all your pretty trinkets. You've got all your toys. Like she starts piling them on her back. And how often do we use material possessions to pile them on as a way of protecting ourselves from being vulnerable and having to take responsibility for our own choices. So I saw that theme reflected throughout the movie several times, and it really impacted me a lot this time that both of them in their journey chose responsibility and other people over the things that made them feel comforted and safe. When was Hoggle's moment of that? Did, did that come? When did that choice come for him? I'm not remembering exactly. Was it was it after the hoarder dissension scene into material comforts, trying to find comfort? Yeah. Was, he, like, was it he, then? Like where I don't remember exactly when his com like his decision came. Was it before it was before hers? Um, I think it was while she was in the little hoarder area and when she was in the dream that was brought on by eating the poisoned. The, fruit um i think he really challenged himself there and i don't think we saw enough of it because it was kind of like a background growth yeah like an off scene kind of thing Mm -hmm. that's happening simultaneously as she's working through the fog Mm -hmm. of of all of that because the fog of that also ends up and this is the part that you know michael was asking about before too and i'm curious what your thoughts are what do you make of this whole like david bowie becoming (laughs) the this love interest this kind of forbidden uh like can i give a comment about hoggle before we move on from that oh sure yeah yeah so i think that what's really interesting to me and i really like hoggle's character what's really interesting and i see this all the time at work is that what presents it it looks like manipulation Mm-hmm. with Hoggle. But really what's going on is that's just his coping with his own pain. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful because as as she is able to see or or to act through that, right? Where she connects with him and mm-hmm. and works through that what what could easily be perceived as he just cares about himself and he's trying to man- manipulate what he he wants out of the situation as she works through that and sees through that she starts to connect with him and it's mm-hmm. that connection that allows him to drop that coping mechanism and to be there with her and i think mm-hmm. that's such an important important thing to notice in our life because it's easy to just see anger hurt mm-hmm. manipulation sure. from others mm-hmm. but if we can find a way to see past that and and know how to healthily like the functionality connect, of what that is yeah. then we can have a relationship still mm-hmm. in most situations sometimes you just can't get through that sure. and you can't heal it and you need to know the boundary of when is enough right. enough so that you don't or the person can't don't respond. tear yourself apart yeah the person but I can't respond to your love to your kindness yeah. to your loyalty which I which love he does right ogle he does yeah and he yeah. grows and his arc grows not on his own but mm-hmm. because of her ability to connect with him, that connection piece is so visible I wonder, throughout the the movie with her. I wonder mm-hmm. if that's augmented by the like the ensemble of characters as well. You know, yeah, that, that he wants yeah. to belong to that group as well. You know, well, they all chime mm-hmm. in when yeah, you know, at mm-hmm. that one moment where he's like, "I'm horrible. You don't have to forgive me. I'm bad or whatever." And she's yeah. like, "No, you're not. You're great. Or you're good." And then and then I think the rat 
no, the the dog dude, right? That, Sir Didymus. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you are courageous, mm-hmm. and and that you know they chime in and really help to really yeah. break that shame wall down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting that it takes that, right? It takes her fierce friendship, and she's a wonderful friend to all these characters, and really makes them all her friend, right? Which yeah. could be these, you know, these this metaphor of her subduing these um separate parts of her kind of into a one collective growing whole or you know creating this um you know which is a wonderful thing that women in general do you know create a a group of friends um, that then creates a place for acceptance and you do Mm -hmm. you do have to be careful with that because you see with her she almost loses her like her purpose her Mm -hmm. mind in this process of trying to connect mm-hmm. with him. So we do have to have boundaries. We do have to understand what's healthy and what's not because going yeah. that far where you almost lose your mind, that's probably not healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and it but, happens. but the movie, it, it does. And it happens. It does. Relationships can push you, especially when it challenges the way you've constructed the manner of your reality. And if it challenges your sense of reality, and if you're, your mapped out sense of reality is a little off and it needs to grow. That becomes one of those existential moments where you start to like lose your mind, you know, which is what's so cool about the fantasy of this movie, you know, is that it creates that space to kind of question it all. Well, it's Mm -hmm. hard because societal norms will, will maybe tell you that, Hey, with this relationship, you should put up with anything. Right. Mm-hmm. But we've got to have, you know, health and, and understanding of ourselves so that we know what is appropriate, wh- how far can I go? And then the, mm-hmm. developing those boundaries is appropriate, even if it may not be a societal norm. And that doesn't make you bad or wrong. It makes you aware of what what will allow you to go forward and be able to strengthen the relationships that you can in your life. And then maybe just be patient with that other one for for them to maybe be ready to be open to the connection and maybe mm-hmm. they won't ever be it's hard you know yeah. Yeah. one of the things that stands out to me about their friendship with exactly what both of you were saying is that in the beginning the friendship was very shallow and surface level mm-hmm. sarah's friendship with him was just out of expectations that he would help her accomplish her mm-hmm. goal which is to for get sure. to the castle and his goal was something completely different they weren't united and at first you see this very childlike back and forth of their friendship with like, oh, you've got to do this to help me because you said so. Or, oh, if you don't help me, I'm going to take your jewelry away and make you and blackmail you into helping. And it wasn't until they had these shared experiences and they really aligned their values and found that shared meaning that they were able to build like a genuine relationship and friendship and lift each other out. She lifted him out so he didn't fall into the bog of eternal snitch. Yeah, I was going to say that's where it was forged, right? Very yeah. The interesting thing that was preventing that relationship from being more of a relationship in the beginning is her fear that she is bad. She's a horrible mm-hmm. babysitter. She's a horrible sister. She allowed mm-hmm. this to happen. Like it's all shame. And then from yeah. his perspective, it's I'm not enough. I better do, you know, anything I I've can no to I be enough, you know, or, or, you know, here's the proof the Goblin King's just going to put me in the pit of smelliness or whatever that place is. Isn't was that called. such a fantastic metaphor, <laughs> too? Like that if you, 
dip one toe into the bog, you remain stinky forever. Isn't that <laughs> like it's the total narrative of shame? It's like it if I get if I fall in the shiz. Mm-hmm. then I'm going <laughs> to smell and be like shiz forever. And that's all anybody's mm-hmm. ever going to see of well, me is a big smelly pile of shiz. So what mm-hmm. I didn't understand is the rocks came up and they were still wet with the swamp I, I stuff thought when they walked the across. Kid. So I'm like, thought about so are they kid. stinky now or like, what? Like, like, are I'm they like, okay? Are stinky? I'm like, is it going to have to carry out with them? Because surely there was still stinky juice <laughs> yeah, on the rock. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, is that like a they plot like hole? They're violating the rule. They're violating the rule. Yeah. Or <laughs> or it was a story that was told about shame that wasn't true. Maybe they stink for a little true. bit. Maybe yeah, maybe it wears lie. off just as the they fear. progress. Yeah. Which is exactly. always what shame is. Shame's just this big lie. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think the thing that's so wonderful about the bog of eternal stench as well is that it's so it's so horrifying of the idea of smelling like shiz <laughs> forever. But it's also hilarious, like the spittle yeah. farts, you know, just yeah. like oh, just there's like <laughs> it's like an anus just farting constantly. I don't know if that was what it was supposed to be, but it, I think so. Stinky, like, wow. like yeah. farty, juicy <laughs> anus that just made me think of having swamp butt. Yeah, it was really it's, interesting. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's such uh, a fantastic. I remember as a kid being like laughing hysterically and also being mm-hmm. horrified at the same moment. It just it did both yeah. things to me at the exact same moment. So mm-hmm. yeah, and so John, and, you oh go ahead, Destiny. Oh, sorry. Um, I was just gonna say I think it's it's really interesting that the only way out of the bog of eternal stench was relying on help. Yeah. You can't do it on your own. She had to rely on Ludo to to call for help, and she had to take each one of those steps across those stepping stones. And yeah. isn't that what mental health healing is? Is it's you have to ask for help. Sometimes you can't yeah. do it on your own. You can't get out of shame by yourself, well, and you have to do the work. You have to take the steps. You can't just mm-hmm. leap across into being healed. It takes time, and it takes effort, and it takes care and balance and intention. Well, I think that's the lie of this idea of self-reliance so many of us believe self-reliance means i do it on our own do it on my own but Mm -hmm. true self-reliance is understanding your limitations and knowing when to ask for help yeah it's not doing it on your own it's it's doing it in partnership with those where you're doing your part and they're doing their part and sometimes your part is asking for help and that's a really important Mm -hmm. principle to understand with self-reliance yeah, because yeah. there's just things we can't do. Yeah, the the idea of self-reliance to me, I I, I hate the phrase, um, but I understand what it's trying to kind of you know indicate that you do all that you have the power to do, you know, mm-hmm. and you reach that potential and you work to to expand that potential because we can all develop greater competence, and so we want to work to great to degre- to develop greater competence. But then we 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 reach the end of our capability and that's where we can really compliment and but support. we think we're not right that's right. the lie is we yeah, think absolutely. we think we have power to do more and we we fail to see that no we'll do more with someone else absolutely. not on our own yeah that the, that that's the a hard balance to yeah to identify yeah. for ourselves which which i'm always fascinated is this is a metaphor the idea of two people coming together and creating more than the individual parts. There's a phrase for that in families in uh in systems theory that I'm forgetting. 
And yeah, and I can't remember fact, either. I know what you're talking about though. Yeah, and the fact that that exists in science, like that, that's the power synergy of synergy or something. I can't. Yeah, synergy. Is that I think it? it's something like the like pop that. culture version. I think. Yeah. But the idea of like you know our sun is hydrogen and hydrogen atoms being slammed together to become helium, and this fusion mm-hmm. explosion of energy. It's like it's a scientific mm-hmm. law. Yeah. You know, it exists. The sum of the parts is greater than the whole. Yeah. 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 And so. Um, so yeah, I, I love that that metaphor. I, I think there's something deeply meaningful, which I haven't figured out yet, of Ludo and his mm-hmm. kind of like meditation to call forth rocks. Oh yeah, the rock guys. I, I, I love, love that you mentioned puppet. that. Like his puppet just was so cool. Oh, it is cool. Me. Yeah, and he's all growl. I... He's all like visceral and kind of <laughs> core and kind of like uh, meditative in his language and the you know the harmony of of yeah. visceral like guttural like asking it's like it's so from the depths right he's such this kind of fluffy huge maybe intimidating i almost wonder if it was like a metaphor for her uh you know you know the emotions that exist in all of us that feel unruly and out of control you know what Mm -hmm. i mean it seems like that metaphor i I also i wonder this is going to sound out there i'm going to get it's good that we're not popular i don't know if i should say i always wonder if it is like this metaphor for the uterus and the whole experience that comes with the maturation of a girl to a woman and having to deal mm-hmm. with what that is as a woman and it being like, well, she was red, you know, he was like kind of reddish and it just like this out of control emotions that come with making sense of physiologically being a woman. And I wondered if it was like, you know, that, that torrent of emotions was inside that feels out of control, you know? Yeah. And, then they, and then women call rocks. Yes. I mean, if we're comparing it to an organ, I would think kidneys and kidney stones, but yeah, uterus. Um, As a woman. I was connected with the the idea of of coming into womanhood, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure your experience with that is extensive, but as a woman with the uterus who has come into womanhood. That's why I said um, (laughs) I'm on thin ice here, folks. I don't know. I, I think my perspective of Ludo and, and who he is and what he is to the story is I think he represents um, like a greater good and spirituality. It might mm-hmm. be a little irreverent to compare Ludo to Christ. And he is childlike, isn't he? Yeah, he, he is pure. He was yeah. very pure. And the first time we see him, he is hung upside down and being tortured mm-hmm. and stoned specifically. They're throwing yeah. rocks at him. And so, um, at that point in the story, she finds a greater purpose helping somebody other than herself. That's true. And it really so, calls for us that part of her, doesn't it? Exactly. And he represents um, the ability to work miracles without him, without her leaning on him, trusting in him and going with him, then she doesn't have that access to that power to call down all the rocks to get her out of shame to get her forward in her story to pull her out of the the hoarder hole they all work to pull her out together and Mm -hmm. and get her back on track with her life and and in the big battle scene in the goblin city he calls down rocks that that clear the path forward for her so that she can attain her goal and i think well, he does it multiple times too, right? He Where does. he creates yeah, he the <laughs> path forward for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's and that guttural, that guttural kind of uh crying yeah. out for support and help from the kind of from the supernatural, right? Because it's from mm-hmm. this other world. And it's just natural to him, right? Because right. it's just who he is. Because at one point they're like, How'd you do? And he's like, Oh, you just 
call them. Do it. Rocks yeah. are my friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rock friends. Yeah. And so for me, he kind of represents spirituality and stepping outside of yourself because she could never have accomplished her goal if she didn't lean into a higher power. And, and I see him as being in opposition to the Goblin King because we're the Goblin King. Everything he does is self-serving and selfish. Sure. Yeah. Ruling um, over the goblins. You know, mm-hmm. la- this is where you laugh. You know, this is where you. You know, kind yeah. of back into my, mm-hmm. my limbs uh, or whatever. Everything Ludo does is to serve and to heal and to help her progress. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, there's a lot there. So, 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 go with me on this. Uh, as a woman watching this show, uh, or even a, a girl coming of age, is there something? Because I was always, and maybe this is one of the reasons why this movie didn't do well, because David Bowie is so creepy, right? He's kind of exotic looking, you know, his, his, his man parts are kind of showing through a little too much in the, in the scene, in the ballroom scene. And And all the scenes. I totally thought he was a pedophile in the ballroom scene. Like, I'm like, this is weird right now. Like, he seems like he's like into her. Yeah. Well, he's asking her. Scene. Yeah, he's asking. Yeah, and, and it is. There is something about this ball. There is something about like being a princess, and and the mm-hmm. line is something like, "Let me rule over you, and you can have everything you want." Yeah, that yeah. was weird. I was like, "What's yeah. going on here?" <laughs> Fear me, yeah. love me, and I will be your slave. Right? It's this real paradoxical. Like, be a slave to me, and I'll be a slave to you. And so, is there something about that? I mean, there's something going on here with the way that women relate to men or older men or what? Well, what, what? How does this hit you? Can Can I just say if we're gonna go with like the theme of the movie and mm-hmm. what the Goblin King represents? I could see how it could easily just be that this is a part of her mind that's trying to convince her that this is the path forward. Let me be in control, which is so true of us in our daily lives. We have that part of our mind that's ruled by the amygdala that's just trying to get the immediate gratification, trying to move us forward. And it's so hard to let go of that. Wanting the path of least resistance. Yeah. But the way it played out, I just thought like, whoa, what's going on? So it it, just because of the scene and the way it was filmed, like the cinematography kind of pulled Mm -hmm. my mind away from that theme to, is there like some other message that's being said? I think there is. I think there is. I think there is a development. What do you think? Destiny is the woman here. So yeah. So my thought is that Jareth represents what she believes love is as an adult. She Mm. has a very childlike perspective of what love is supposed to be. And so, um, like where he says, uh, fear me, love me, do as I say, and I will be your slave. That's a very childlike understanding of what love and romance is supposed to look like. Right, that's know- everything you need. Like a relationship and love is you doing everything that I most need in my life, right? Exactly. And and at one point, she she's in that, that very M.C. Escher-like labyrinth, and she I says, give that, me yeah. the child. And, and he says, beware, I've been generous up until now. I can be cruel. And she said, she challenges him on that, and she says, generous? What have you done that's generous? Right. And, it's so misogynistic, and, right? Yeah. And he says, everything. I have done everything. 
everything you have wanted, I have done. Yeah. You asked I've, that the child be taken. I, I took, took it. The child. Yeah. You cowered before me. I was frightening. I reordered time. I turned the world upside down and I've done yeah. it all for you. And I love that he says, I am exhausted from living up to your expectations because yeah. her idea of what love is supposed to look like or what is exhausting. Real, yeah. And it's a, it's a very based and fantasy idea of what love is. I mean, when you're yeah. reading fairy tales as a kid, once you get to the happily ever after part, you never see what happens beyond that. Right. You see, yeah. That's the beginning of the relationship. Exactly. And the beginning of the relationship is very often what you see embodied between Jareth and Sarah. Like Mm -hmm. he's doing everything that he can to gain her attention. He's doing what she says. Exactly. And, and yet there's no foundation for a healthy relationship there. So, So is this also another aspect of the, of the scary aspect of going from a girl to a woman? Because I also wondered, you know, the metaphor is, you know, it's, it's unfair. It's my little brother. I can't go out because I have to watch my parents, you know. Yeah. I wonder you know, if Jareth whole... represents that relationship. Yeah. A parent-child relationship and how sometimes you'll have parents who, especially if there's a little bit of that borderline tendency, who will say, mm-hmm. I've done everything for you and you don't respect me. Yeah. I I can see that. Um, I see it more as her challenging herself and the reason i see that is because when she she tells the story the your dangers untold and hardships unnumbered i've fought my way here to the castle beyond the goblin city to take back the child you've stolen what she does to come into power and to to really defeat the goblin king so to speak is to say my will is as strong as yours and my kingdom is great you have no power over me so i think that's where she gets to the culmination of leaving childhood and innocence behind and stepping into adulthood and responsibility so so is it possible that the baby also represents though it's her little brother also represents the fear of motherhood and the fear of how being a mother and, a, and mm-hmm. having the responsibility of a child is completely overwhelming and will take over my life and I will lose myself and have no part of me if I have a child or yeah, even just absolutely. adulthood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's representative of everything she's afraid of in adulthood, which is responsibility, which is taking care of someone other than yourself and being selfless instead of selfish. It's It's being present for someone that needs you without getting anything in return because when you have a yeah, baby i mean parenthood is, yeah, yeah well, and even that's adulthood what it is. taking care of yourself mm-hmm. you know is scary enough mm-hmm. it's not yeah. just about those relationships but she i mean obviously she can't take care of herself i mean right. she needs parents still she needs a place to live and and mm-hmm. so i think that you know for me i i get that it's a woman but i feel like it's applicable to anyone like it, mm-hmm. it's really this development in, in scary time in someone's life where you're trying to understand how to move forward while feeling like you're being held back or not being, you know, you have that as a child, your needs are most important. It's mm-hmm. hard to see the needs of others. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I see it. I think it relates well to, to young men or young women or, or men or women, uh, mm-hmm. both even though I can definitely see all the aspects of how it relates to womanhood. 
Yeah. It's a fear of growing up. And in yeah. a, in a way, I think for her specifically, it's a fear of being ordinary because there's the one scene where he, he brings her a gift and it's the little crystal and she asks what it is. And, and he tells her it's a crystal, like, nothing more but if you turn it this way and look into it it will show you your dreams but it's not a gift for an ordinary girl who takes care of a screaming baby and so he's mm -hmm. kind of throwing that reality of um ordinariness and or it's and, ordinary to be a mother it's you know it's mm -hmm. it's it's not anything special you know yeah if you lose yourself in adult responsibilities you know, you're not well, anything special. You can't have your dreams. It's, yeah. I think yeah. they make that parallel really clear that really you can have plan. one or the other. And right. and again, just like with the Bhagavad eternal tinge, that's kind of a lie. You can have both. You just have right. to find balance. Or, or real meaning and purpose is found in the fulfillment mm -hmm. of, I mean, there isn't, there isn't anything for me that's more fulfilling than my marriage and being a father. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there isn't, I'm, you know, there isn't anything that, I care more about than having uh, a, a really concrete, healthy attachment and friendship with my wife. And, and then the journey that we're on together to, mm -hmm. to raise these, you know, these little humans into functioning adults and, and being a part of that and championing that. And, and now, you know, my, I've got kids that are walking out and stepping out into adulthood and seeing them and, and the fragility of that and the excitement of that and, and the scariness, like that's, it's the most cool rewarding thing ever. You know, I mean, kids being cute, like you were talking about before we jumped on, you know, uh, your mm -hmm. little ones and, and the exciting things that they do of themselves is so fascinating and interesting and intriguing and more fulfilling than status of a king or queen, more fulfilling of trappings and trinkets of shiny things you know what I mean? exactly then then all the things that that the goblin king is trying to seduce her to forget her responsibilities mm -hmm. um you know uh, it, it isn't it's not meaningful it's not fulfilling you know the ball i mean mm -hmm. the ball is so weird and so like a trance you know and that's yeah. what that world offers it doesn't it offers some kind of celebration some kind of party that I mm -hmm. suppose can be fun in the moment, but it's, it's a fog, right? It's a, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a mist of darkness that doesn't really land and ground you in a meaningful, purposeful way. Right. Yeah. It's not real. Like it, it did. It was a dream within a dream. I guess it happened when she was under the influence <laughs> of that fruit and, and it wasn't real. Um, all the things that tried to pull her away from her responsibility to, to, the kid to rescuing Toby, um, whether it was the woman piling her toys on top of her, even when he challenges her and he says, Sarah, go back to your room, play with your toys and your costumes and forget about the baby. Um, she's, she's being torn both directions and she wants to stay a child, but she wants to be an adult. And I think the ballroom scene was her desire to be an adult and to pursue adult things, but without the reality that it's not all pretty dresses and, and ballroom. Puffy. I mean, she had some serious puff going on on that. Yeah. On yeah. That, <laughs> I thought it was, uh, I thought it was great too. The, the kind of final um, sticking point of that was her giving Toby um Lancelot was it I think was the name of the yeah of the her little bear that she, that she hands over or whatever I thought that was really because it was just kind of like I'm happy to share this with you or I'm happy for you to enjoy this mm -hmm. as a child or or whatever the message might be there yeah 
kind of passing down the mantle of being the child as she's stepping into more adulthood. And like you said, she doesn't let go of her childhood loves and dreams and ideals completely because she realizes she doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. At the end of the movie, when we see them in the moot in the mirror and we see them saying like, if you need us, we're here. And how true is that for us as adults? Like we, we rely on things that were comforting and, and valuable to us as children. Like the happiest adults are adults that can embrace play and embrace creativity mm. and embrace mm. that childlike optimism that we tend to lose as adults. Yeah. Amen and amen. That's Michael's superpower. Yeah. I do like toys and playfulness. Playing. Yeah. That is fun. Keeping it keeping it real and young well that was <laughs> that was fun guys thanks destiny for joining us yeah Great thanks for show. having me it was yeah, a good th- conversation yeah thanks for letting us go down the rabbit hole of the labyrinth how appropriate yeah. we didn't talk about the maze metaphor but it's there it's good i think that uh, if you have any questions just let us know on social media you can find us at uh redhead tgm on all the social medias and then leave a review. We'd love to see more reviews from people. Thanks again, Destiny. Adios, amigos. Thank you. Bye.